Galatians 5, verses 19 through 21. Galatians is a book, if you happen to be new or visiting with us today, Galatians is a book in the New Testament. The Bible is a book of 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament before Jesus came into the world, 27 in the New Testament during which and after He had come into the world. Galatians is the Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, ninth book of your New Testament. I wasn't trying to be funny, but I'll take it. And we've been studying this book that Paul had written uh, to these churches that dotted the landscape of an ancient region uh, called Galatia in the old Roman world. And... We come today to verses 19 through 21. Galatians 5, verses 19, 20, and 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry and sorcery, enmity and strife and jealousy, fits of anger and rivalries and dissensions, and divisions, and envy, and drunkenness, and orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Some years ago, there was a market village in northern India where once a week people brought all of their wares and and fruit and goods to sell. And one such man was a dove salesman. And he had trained these doves. He he would put a a stake in the ground, a large stick, and, and to the end of some string he had fixed two rings. And with one ring he would drop it over that stake, and with a with the other ring he would tighten it around one of the dove's feet. And he had trained these doves as they were chained to these rings that was tied to the stake to simply walk in a circle like mules grinding at a cane mill. Walk in a circle so that the the passers-by could look at these doves and decide whether or not they wanted to purchase them and buy them. And it seemed that nobody was really interested in buying these birds until one day a devout Brahmin who respected all life and didn't want to see these doves in a bowl or on a plate to be eaten. He, he wanted to set them free, and so he offered to purchase these doves. He said, I want to buy these doves. And after the money exchanged hands and he paid for these doves, he, the Brahmin gave the order to the salesman, now I want you to cut the rope and I want you to set them all free. And the salesman said, you want me to set them all free? And the Brahmin said, set them all free. So he did as the man wished. He cut the ropes and he pulled the rings off of their feet and they were free. But you know what those doves did? They kept walking in the circle like they were trained to do. Until finally the Brahmin had to shoo them away as to to teach them to show them you're not tied up anymore. You're free. You You can fly away and you can live in freedom. You can go wherever you want and do what you like and live as a dove ought to live. Not tied up but free and flying. And as he shooed them away, they they flew away some distance. But do you know, down the road, they they landed again and began to do exactly what they had trained to do. 
and that is to assume the circular pattern and begin to walk in that pattern again. Look at chapter 5 again as a reminder in verse number 1. Paul has said, for freedom, Christ has set us free. We were like those doves, weren't we? We were tied up and chained up, but Jesus has set you free, Paul says. But I wonder today, I wonder if you're still walking around chained to your sin instead of flying for the glory of God in righteous freedom. Or to say it how Paul would say it in this text today. Are you living according to the works of the flesh or the fruit of the Spirit? Which one categorizes you? That is, are you really free? Because what this text reveals among other things is you might not actually be free if sin dominates your life. If you love your sin more than you love God, you might not in fact truly be a Christian at all, beloved. So this passage about the works of the flesh is very revealing. In fact, we could say two things about the works of the flesh. The first is that they're conspicuous. Conspicuous, which means it's easy to spot them. Look at verse number 19. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. One important thing to define in this text is what exactly is the flesh? What is meant by the Bible's usage of the word flesh? And what it means is your natural nature and inclination and will and impulses when it has not been renewed by the grace of God. Your flesh is that which you really are without God. And Paul says the works of the flesh are, are evident. Uh, you can spot them, he says, from a mile away. Uh, I learned a new word this week. I like learning new words from time to time. And, and the word I learned this week was aposomatic. Have you ever heard this word? I hadn't until this week. Aposomatic. And it means to signal away from. It's taken from two Greek terms. And it means to signal away from. It was coined by an English zoologist. He wrote a book in the 1800s about the color of animals. And an aposomatic animal is an animal that has colors that serve as a warning as to its poisonous nature or dangerous nature. A, a poison dart frog. It's the most poisonous frog on earth. If you touch this frog, you could die. If you ingest this frog, if a predator eats this frog, the poison from the skin of this frog will kill it. So this frog is not normal like a green frog or a, a brown bullfrog. No, this frog is a bright blue or a bright red. It's aposomatic. It is giving a warning. I'm dangerous. Stay away. Or you will hazard your own life. Uh, a coral snake is aposomatic. The bright ringed colors of the coral snake 
warn anyone or anything who might encroach upon it that it's a dangerous animal. And you hazard your life in your own hands if you play with this coral snake and there's bright light saying, watch out, I'm dangerous. And in the same way, if I could say it this way, the works of the flesh that Paul outlines here are scripturally aposomatic. The works of the flesh, that is, are evident and clear and show the danger that they have built into them when you live in them and produce them with your life. The NIV says the acts of the flesh are obvious. The New Living says that when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are clear. King James says the works of the flesh are manifest and the ESV says that the works of the flesh are evident, obvious, clear, manifest, evident. Phanera is the Greek term. It means to be, to be revealed, not concealed. Because listen now, listen, who you really are will eventually show itself, friends. Who you really, really are, you might be able to hide it for a while. You might be able to mask your nature under a veneer of religion or Christianity or profession, but time and truth go hand in hand. And who you really are will always come out in the end. You cannot hide it forever, and you certainly can't hide it from God. The works of the flesh are manifest, and they carry a warning label that these condemn your soul to hell. These sins will drag you down to outer darkness and perdition. They're, they're conspicuous and clear. Paul wants you to see them and recognize them and turn from them and run from them and run to God and run to Jesus for forgiveness because the works of the flesh are evident. They're conspicuous. But let's note their categories, and there are three that Paul lines out in this passage. Three categories of fleshly sins. Sexual, spiritual, and social sins are evident of one not knowing the Lord. Clear evidence, sexual sins. In verse number 19, the first three on the list are sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality. Now, these are of the same um, genus of sins in the same category, but they're three nuanced ways to express perversity. The first term is two words in the English, sexual immorality, but it translates one word in the Greek, and that is the word from which we derive the word pornography. Pornography. And in the Bible, this word touches on all kinds of of manifestations of sexual sins. It can be adultery, which is the seventh commandment after all. You shall not commit adultery. Do you know that God made you man for one woman and made you woman for one man to be together until death do you part? God, help us to be faithful in our marital relationships, in our spousal fidelity. The works of the flesh are unfaithfulness to the wife 
or husband of one's youth. The works of the flesh are clear. Sexual immorality, which can be adultery. You say, well, I'm glad I'm off the hook, preacher, because I'm not married and I'm single. I'm sorry to tell you, sexual immorality also means having sex before marriage. I know it's 2023, but the Bible still says that we are to come to the marriage altar pure. To possess our vessels in righteousness and holiness and purity. Did you know that studies have shown, not even Christian studies, not biblical studies, secular studies have shown that two people who come to the marriage altar as virgins and chaste and pure enjoy typically longer and happier and more satisfying marriages than people who sleep around before they get married? Listen, that's not Pastor Jesse. That's psychological social studies. It's a fact that God has built into nature that we were built for monogamy, to be faithful to one another and to save ourselves. Listen, if you're not married today, your future husband, your future wife deserves to come to the altar with somebody they don't have to worry about comparing themselves to for the rest of their life. Save yourself. Save yourself. I promise you. God will bless your marriage. Keep yourselves pure, young Christian. Don't be drawn into the works of the flesh, which are sexual immorality, adultery, and premarital sexual activity. This term also comprehends homosexuality. Homosexuality. In the beginning, God made you, and he didn't make a mistake. What God has assigned to you in terms of your gender was not a mistake. If you are a boy, God meant you to be a boy. And if you are a girl, God meant for you to be a girl. He gave you scientifically the number of chromosomes and the type of chromosomes, not number, the type of chromosomes. You'd be an animal if you had different numbers of chromosomes, I guess. Now I'm way over my pay grade. The type of chromosomes, XX or XY, you're a boy or you're a girl. And if you are a boy, God made you to be with a girl. And if you're a girl, God made you to be with a boy. That is the way God designed life to work best. And God makes no mistakes. God designed you just as he designed Adam and Eve in the garden. Male and female. He created them in the image of God. He made them sexual immorality, adultery, premarital sexual activity, homosexuality bestiality I hope I don't have to preach on this too long but God didn't make you to carouse with the animals but with like kind incest prostitution pedophilia and all these other aberrant forms of human sexuality what are they they're the mark of one who is in the flesh and not under the Spirit of God. They're the mark of one who is obeying the impulses of their fallen, depraved, deceptive, darkened human heart rather than being lighted upon by the glorious heart and life-changing grace of God. Now let me stop at this moment because I think I can hear what some of you might be thinking. 
You say, preacher, what if I've done these? What if I committed incest? What if I am a person who identifies as a homosexual? What if I've had an affair in the past? What if I've looked at or still look at pornography regularly? What does that mean about me? What that means about you is that you are a sinner just like every other sinner. Is there one among us who has never had an impure thought or an impure impulse? But the gospel says to you and me in the blood of Jesus Christ, you can be washed, friend. You can be cleansed no matter the sin if you will but repent and turn to the Lord and take hold of the blood of Jesus Christ. He will wash your sins, black though they are, as white as the freshly fallen powdered snow. More white than that, for he is the spotless lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And there's worse sins than you have committed that have already been forgiven by God, among others. And God is no less powerful to forgive you. So stop walking in bondage and fly in the grace of God and his freedom. Amen? Amen. Paul lays out these categories of sexual sin, sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality. Impurity is, is sort of like the effect, the cause is sexual immorality that makes you impure. You feel dirty when you commit sexual sin because you are dirty. You feel dirty. Because you are dirty, but if you keep ignoring your conscience that tells you you ought not be doing that, it could lead to this third term, and that is sensuality. It literally means to throw off all restraints. You know, you get used to committing something after a while, no matter how bad it might be. Once you get used to it, you lose the ability to feel its wrongness in your soul, in your heart, in your conscience anymore. And you just cast off restraint and sink yourself entirely into it until you become to a place where you can't even come out of it and you can't even see the trouble that you're in anymore. Sexual perversity has that effect. It's this term sensuality or lasciviousness is the old term these sexual sins but he adds to them two spiritual sins we could call them in the first two in the list of verse number 20 idolatry and sorcery now these are to be taken together idolatry and sorcery because in the ancient world they went together idolatry of course is the veneration and worship of anyone or anything that is not God. Anyone or anything you want more than God. You love more than God. You desire more than God. You think about more than God. And that came along with this term sorcery. By the way, know what word we get from this Greek word sorcery? It's the word pharmacy. We get our word pharmacy or pharmaceuticals from this. And that is because... In the ancient world, in the Galatian world, when you would go to a temple to worship some god, lowercase g, or goddess, lower, any other god who is not the real and living god of scripture, you know what else you would combine that with? The, the use of hallucinogenics. Uh, things you would snort, or things you would smoke, or things that would 
put you in a trance. And in the ancient world, they believed that that, that altered state of consciousness, you were actually entering some other dimension where you were com- communing with the gods. You were actually just high as a kite. And not much has changed, by the way. People still, rather than turn to the Lord who can free them, people still lean on addiction to pharmaceuticals and drugs, thinking that that will alter their state of consciousness and help them to escape a reality or numb them to certain pains when you really need to take it not to an idol smoked from a pipe or snorted through a straw or a rolled up dollar bill, but you need to take your burdens and your pain to the living God who really can heal your soul. Idolatry. And sorcery, spiritual sins coupled with sexual sins. And then you call them social sins. This long list of, of sins that cause fracture and friction in our relations with each other. Enmity and strife. One is a cause, one is an effect. Enmity is this inward boiling, seething feeling that leads to strife. Jealousy is an inward feeling of covetousness and desiring what somebody else has that you think you deserve and so you're jealous of them and that results in fits of anger and raging either against the object of your jealousy or against God who you think has been unfair because they gave them something they didn't give you. And so you're prone to these fits of anger. You fly off the handle like a spoiled little brat kicking and screaming because you didn't get what you wanted. And rivalries... Which is constant, sinfully comparing yourself to one another and it bothering you on the inside when you perceive that somebody might be a little bit better or more talented than you. And so you try to raise yourself to the standard you think they're at and it creates this kind of ugly rivalry which results in dissensions, divisions in the rank and body of Christ. And all of it flows out of that first word of verse number 21. The green-eyed monster of envy, of covetousness, of jealousy. Um, Last year, the Environmental Protection Agency issued this edict that allowed for an op- uh, literal an ocean of sludge to pollute this beautiful crystal river, Colorado's Animus River. And it turned this clear flowing river into a bright yellow stream of pollution. What happened was they, the EPA uh, allowed these, these crews to go in and, and try to clean out the backlog of pollution that was in a mine below ground but instead they, they allowed it to, as they pumped out, they allowed it to go into the river and the waste overflowed and it, it ruined a hundred mile stretch of river. And, and you look at these kinds of sins, immorality and the dissensions and envy and backbiting and, and all the rest, sensuality. And it's like all this backlog of sludge is down in our heart and it just flows out, doesn't it, into a life of uncleanness and sin and ugliness that Paul calls the works of the flesh. And just so, just so we don't self-righteously look at this list of sins and say, now I don't see any of these in my, my own life, so that must mean that 
that I'm okay. Look at the last phrase of verse number 21. And things like these. On the back of the list, that is. Things like these. That means this is a representative list, not an exhaustive list. Any way in which sin dominates your life is a moment in which you are under the control of the flesh that is averse to God. And the works of the flesh come with a warning from the apostle, don't they? In verse number 21, I warn you, as I warned you before, apparently this was something that Paul had to do over and over and over again. You know, I fear... I fear that people sitting on the pews are not warned enough. I think sometimes we need a good stern warning from the voice of God Almighty. Because while God is good and gracious, God does not turn a blind eye to sin. He is a purer eyes than to behold evil. And if you think that you can escape the judgment of God and live life the way you think you want to live life according to the impulses of your flesh, Paul says, I have a warning for you. I've warned you before that those who do such things, critical word here, I think, is the verb do, do. Because if we're honest, every one of us have done these kinds of sins in our life. Every one of us have committed these kinds of sins in our life. But the question is not, have you done these, but do you still do these? Do these things mark your life? Do these things line out the way you live? Are they consistent, habitual habits and patterns in your life? Do you have any remorse over them whatsoever? Does your heart break? Are you repentant or sorry? Do you have any intention of turning from them? If you say no, I am enjoying my life of sexual immorality. I'm enjoying my life of drug use or, or strife and jealousy. Are you kidding me? Forgive that person who has wronged me so bad? No, I'm going to hold on to that. Well, Paul says that those who do such things Consistent, ongoing, habitual lifestyle will not inherit the kingdom of God. Three times Paul writes this phrase, once in Ephesians, once in 1 Corinthians, and once in Galatians. Those who commit such sins will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's not me as a preacher. That is Paul the apostle who says people who love their sin with no aim or aspiration of turning from it and repent should not deceive themselves. And you read that and you wonder why Paul has to issue this warning. In fact, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 adds this, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived because there's people who think they live like this and are still going to heaven. And Paul would say, you need to stop lying to yourself, friend, and get right with God. Stop lying to yourself. If you love your sin with no intention of repenting of it and no remorse in your soul over the fact that your sin is the reason Jesus Christ had to die, stop lying to yourself and telling yourself that you're on your way to heaven. Paul says you will not inherit 
the kingdom of God and he adds to the other church that he said it to, let no one deceive you with empty words. Don't let a false prophet come along and say you can love your sin and live in sin and grace is cheap and grace is free. Therefore, the call of the gospel is not to deny yourself, but live any way you want to live because you said the sinner's prayer. No, it's not. That's deceptive. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. It was December the 26th of 2004, the day after Christmas in 2004. An 8.3 magnitude earthquake hit just off the coast of Indonesia. And it triggered a massive tsunami and catastrophic destruction. Water, mud and debris covered the coastline. Thousands of people died. It's a horrible tragedy. Many more were washed out to sea. But, but in the aftermath, the BBC reported a story of a woman named Malawati. And Malawati was one of these ladies who was on the shore when that tsunami struck and it, and it sucked her out to sea and she couldn't swim real well. And there she was for five days floating in the ocean before she was rescued by a cargo ship. And afterward, she testified that she was able to survive because she clung to a big tree trunk that was floating. She chanced upon it. She clung to that big tree trunk and on that tree trunk was some fruit that was growing. So those five days she held on to that tree trunk in the middle of the ocean. She ate the fruit off of it that sustained her, kept her alive. These, these works of the flesh are like a tsunami, y'all. A tsunami that has washed us out to the sea of condemnation and judgment before God. And there's no hope of keeping ourselves afloat. These works of the flesh will drag us down to a devil's hell and a Christless eternity. But there is hope. Oh, there is hope. There is a tree of life. There is an old rugged cross when we come to Christ by which we will be forgiven of the works of the flesh. And by God's grace, he will replace the works of the flesh with, verse number 22, the fruit. The fruit of the Spirit. More on that next week, so come back. Amen? Let us pray. So Lord, help us to turn away and deny our sin. Help us to see it for the evident danger that it poses. May we never be turned out of the kingdom of God. But give us, Lord, the ability to see our sin as you see it. To hate our sin as you hate it. To agree with you about our sin. Lord, help us to trust in the only remedy, the only medicine for our soul. The only hope that we have to be cleansed, and that is the precious blood of your Son. Thank you, Lord, that there's no sin so heinous. There's no sinner so bad that you cannot save them. We thank you for this hope that we have in Christ. Encourage us, Lord, and produce in us the fruit of your Holy Spirit. For it is in Jesus' name we ask. Amen and amen. Let's stand together, shall we? Hymn number 358. Or hymn of dismissal.